you can open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 1. We, my family, is in the middle of moving, which is exciting. We just, uh, I think we've been in our place for a week and a half now. Um, the place that we just moved out of is actually our first home. We moved into that place in 2012, I think it was. We, we moved in and there was uh, an abundance of uh, scrap, lumber, boards, plywood and such. Uh, that at the end of the project, we got the property all cleaned up, you know, uh, we got some of the landscaping stuff done, and then I carefully uh, piled away all of the remaining lumber that I thought would be useful someday. And then what happened is over the next uh, probably 12 to 18 months, my pile of plywood and stick lumber slowly vanished. It disappeared over time. And what was happening is that my children, along with our neighbors that we had there for, uh, in that home for almost the entire time we lived there, the Fraley's, uh, all this, this group of kids, they, uh, although they were excited to be in a new home, uh, my kids needed a home of their own. And so they were uh, caravanning these items, sheets of plywood, uh, boards off into the alders, and I did not find out until a little bit down the road that they had built their own structures in the woods. And then, of course, they would invite all the neighbors and they would have their uh, little habitat <laughs> uh, in the alders behind their house. It was actually quite impressive and a lot of lumber. Uh, it was not uh, necessarily to code in some respects. Um, but they would invite uh, Judah and Isla and the Fraley family and whoever else was in the neighborhood, and they would have their little parties in the, in the, uh, the shed in the alders. <clears throat> but um, despite uh, maybe some frustration at losing all of my carefully saved lumber, uh, my kids were doing exactly what they've been designed by God to do. And that's what I want to get into this morning. You'll see that play out. So you remember last week, we read through creation, God's glory on display through creation. And at the end of, of everything that he'd created, Genesis 1:31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good that is the description of the end result of God's uh, creative power at work. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That's how Genesis chapter 1 ends. So we know from Genesis chapter 2 that uh, not only had God created everything, but it says that he had planted a garden. So a garden is, uh, is not just... Uh, not just that he had created vegetation and trees and fruits and vegetables, uh, flowers, but he had, he had arranged a particular area uh, for Adam and Eve, and then it says that he put them in the garden. 
which is an environment, uh, a world that we can't really uh, comprehend from our current vantage point. It was a perfect world. No death, no decay, no sin, no selfishness, no corruption of any kind. It was an uncorrupted, unmarred, unstained environment created by a good God, given as a gift to Adam and Eve for them to dwell in it, to experience it, to soak it up, to enjoy it. And from that context, to enjoy uh, relationship with him. But remember, I said two weeks ago that in the very beginning, even before day one, God already had uh, a plan in his mind, a plan in his heart, uh, a purpose that was being set in motion. His desire and his will to accomplish some things are in motion through creation. So it's in this context, God has a plan and a will and a purpose. God creates a very good environment. He places Adam and Eve in it. That God is going to give his very first set of instructions to Adam and Eve, to the man and the woman. Now remember, this is critical. Uh, when you think about these first set of instructions, we think of commandments as corrective because commandments are corrective. There is a reason that God tells me to uh, love my wife. It's because I don't love my wife at times. And so he says, no, the standard is to love, right? There's a reason that God tells me as a father, don't exasperate your children. That's because they exasperate me. No, it's because I have the capacity, I have even the tendency as a father to be exasperating. And so he, the commandment is corrective. This commandment is not corrective because there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to set right. There is no problem. Here's the command. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God the creator, God the all-knowing, the all-powerful, the God with purpose uh, and, and plans in his heart says to Adam and Eve, to maximize your joy in fulfilling your divinely ordained purpose. Do this. Do the work of taking ownership of creation and multiply your family. Raise children and conquer the world. 
So here's the first truth. I'm going to give you three. God's original basic life plan was work and family. And then he says, and I'll throw in a travel requirement. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to rule over the earth. But as you're fruitful and you multiply, I want you to spread out. I want you to go and find places you haven't been. Subdue the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. God's original basic life plan was work and family. The work that he assigns to Adam is the work of taking, or to Adam and Eve, sorry, is the work of taking ownership of, of caring for and making use of his creative world. So he says, I've given it to you. Now I want you to make use of it. I want you to care for it. I want you to take ownership of it. When Wiser Homes builds a house, they are making use of God's created world, of his creation, taking ownership of it. When any of our many fishermen go out onto the fishing grounds, they are making use of God's created world, taking ownership of it, caring for it. When our fish and wildlife biologists and scientists go to work, they are making use of and caring for and taking ownership of God's created world. It's work. Work was given. The assignment of work, of taking ownership, was given to maximize Adam and Eve's joy in fulfilling their divinely ordained purpose. You could do this two ways. You could find a lawn chair and a margarita and just relax for the rest of eternity. But that will not be the greatest experience of joy and fulfillment that I intend for you. If you want to experience that, get to work and taking ownership of what I've given you. And then the second piece, work and relationships, work and family. The second piece is I want you to multiply yourselves. I want you to to raise children who raise children, right? God says, I can make people. I've now done it twice. You should try it. He's divinely invested in Adam and Eve the capacity to make more of themselves, to reproduce. You want to maximize your joy in fulfilling your divinely ordained purpose? Don't sit next to the Euphrates getting a nice suntan. Have children. Grow a family. And as that family grows, spread out. Go find new places and do the work of taking ownership of the created world. So, 
Pretty straightforward, right? Conquer the world, raise a family, do some travel. Well, as you know, and this is skipping ahead and I'm gonna come back and we're gonna unpack this in some detail, but as you know, some things went south. You've heard that part of the story? <clears throat> the first truth is that God's original basic life plan was work and family. The second truth is this, the curse of sin brought death upon our work and our family. And we're gonna be unpacking that over the next uh, few weeks. Um, but the curse of sin introduced death. It brought death into these divine mandates, work and family. What God intended to be a source of joy and fulfillment for me became a source of sorrow and despair, of pain and heartache. We even see that in the curse. And again, we're going to look at that in a little more detail. But in the curse, he tells Adam, in tilling the earth, you're going to find frustration, futility. In giving birth to children, you're going to find pain and suffering in more ways than one. As a result of sin, we are dead people doing dead deeds. Dead people doing dead work. We are dead people because we have no life in and of ourselves. This is established all throughout even the ministry of Jesus. In John 6, he says, unless you have my blood flowing in your veins, you do not have life in and of yourselves. In 1 John chapter 5, Verse 12, he says, the one who has the Son has life, but without the Son of God, without the life of Christ, the Spirit of Christ in us, we do not have life. We are temporarily alive and eternally dead. Our bodies are animated, but our spirits are not. When you eat of this tree, dying you shall die. A process and an event. Dead people doing dead deeds. I've actually found it fascinating in my own study this week how Hebrews draws this out. Hebrews 6.1, he says, we have to first repent of dead works. In Hebrews 9.14, he says that God cleanses our conscience from dead works. We do dead works because we do not have dominion. We cannot subdue sin and death Rain. Dead works are grasping vapor in the hands. Dead works 
are temporary works that do not survive our brief lives. But then, but then, the resurrection. Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go th therefore and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus comes onto the scene. We've covered this. We've talked about the gospel. Jesus comes onto the scene as a man entering into our divine assignment, which was originally to do the work of taking ownership and authority over the earth and multiplying ourselves because of sin and death. We now are cursed. We are dead people doing dead deeds. And then Jesus comes along and and. And it seems like, it seems like it's possible that he has gained the upper hand, returned the upper hand to mankind. It seems possible that he actually does have authority because he overcame sin and death. The evidence that he is right in his claim is his defeat of sin and death. It's the resurrection from the grave. Sin and death are no longer the highest authority. I am the highest authority, not only in heaven, but on earth. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. Do you hear the two themes there hearkening all the way back to Genesis 1.28? It's dominion, it's subduing, it's taking authority and ruling and multiplication, both there in the Great Commission. Establish my authority on the earth by making disciples, by multiplying spiritual life into others. And once again, he throws in a travel requirement. Establish my rule because all authority has been given to me. Establish my rule on the earth. Go, travel, in fact, cover the whole earth. And as you go, make disciples, multiply yourselves. Don't just rule the earth, establish the rule of Jesus on the earth. Don't just multiply yourselves, multiply the eternal life of Jesus. We're actually now called in light of the resurrection to become living spirits, producing living works. You guys can come on up. This uh, reinstatement of our original purpose is now infused with a critical sense of urgency and eternal importance. 
my children commandeer my lumber to make a place for themselves. And then they multiply by inviting other people into that place for themselves. It's, it's an echo of our eternal purpose. And yet now, with eternal urgency added to that, don't just make a place for yourselves. Make a place for Christ to rule. Establish his dominion. Don't just multiply in the flesh, but multiply spiritual life for the sake of eternity. And here's the third truth. God's original basic life plan is available to you now. You can be about the work of establishing his dominion, his rule, his authority, and you can be about the work of multiplying, taking the good life of Jesus in you and sharing it with others, to see him born into the lives of others. And yet there's one piece that's added in the new covenant. Revelations. My reward is with me to give every man according to his works. What's been added is an eternal reward, an incomprehensible reward for accomplishing the mission that he's laid out before us. And here it is, Drew. Are you ready for the tie-in? To do God's work, to invest in God's work, and to invest in God's people. That's what we're here for. God, would you give each person who's listening now uh, a renewed sense of both inspiration and urgency in fulfilling the assignment that really uh, uh, captures our purpose in this life that we with great joy, with a powerful sense of purpose, would join with you in establishing your rule on the earth, would join with you in the disciple-making mission of multiplying your life here on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name.